We're going to start tonight in Proverbs 22. Now, I thought I was going to be speaking next Sunday night. So this is not particularly a Christmas message. But it does have, in my thoughts today, I was looking this over, uh, it does have a Christmas connotation. And I'm looking at all of 2014. We're at the end of the year. This is a season where we give gifts and we receive gifts. My thought is looking at gifts that will continue all through 2014. The hymn we just sang, the last line says, So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come rich and poor to his own, to own own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. I don't have a lot of gold that I can bring, but I think as we go through the message tonight, you'll get my idea of what we can bring in the line of service to the Lord Jesus Christ next year. The major part of that is encouragement to other saints. And we'll look at the different ways that uh, we can accomplish that. Proverbs 22.6, very simple scripture. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we look at ourselves as parents and as adults, and we see a responsibility to train up children, not in the way that we think they should go, but in the way that God wants them to go. If we feel one way that that's how a child should be trained, we should be studying the word to find out what God wants for his children. We consider a lot of times just our own kids when we read this comment, train up a child in the way he should go. I'm saying tonight that that is not a true statement. It's not just our kids. Dave made a comment on Wednesday night Bible study that they had a drug problem in their family when they were growing up. His parents drug him to every meeting at this assembly. (laughs) Every meeting. Train up a child in the way they should go. Do we want them to come and hear what is said at an assembly to hear God's word or do we want them to be listening to uh, TV to the various things that are said there ungodly things a lot of times or what they see Uh, smartphones I can't tell you I sit in the back and the texting that goes on and you know what I've done it That's not what we should be doing here. Even if we feel that's really important, what's going on. When my sister was dying, there was a lot of texting going on. I've done it. Is that what we want to show our children? The liberal professors over at the colleges, 
Is that something we want them to follow? Or would we rather they listen to God's word here? We need to find out the way that God wants us to teach our children. And I'll just take it as our children. We're going to expand on that. We should study the word. We should have fellowship with other Christian believers. We should be an example. And in my mind, we should attend every meeting of this assembly that we can possibly attend. And I can speak at that of one that has not done that. When I worked, I was gone for four Sundays, and then I would be here for eight Sundays. I felt how bad it was to be away from the saints for four weeks. If we are hit and miss, those four weeks just come in in maybe 12 weeks. It might not be four in a row. But I know my Christian testimony suffered because I wasn't here among God's people with God's fellowship or the fellowship I have with other believers. We should be on time. We shouldn't have our children watching us walk in late because they will walk in late. Most ministry that comes from this pulpit is people that are talking to themselves. I'm talking to myself. You have the privilege of listening. Listening in on my conversation to myself. I don't want any of you to see me come in late and be the example. Our kids learn by watching, by listening, and then by mimicking our children. Kids learn to talk exactly by that method. They're watching us. That expands to every part of what we do. And again, I have to question myself, what have children learned from me? And I think I would be very sorry and very apologetic over some of the things that they've seen. We uh, built a place in Big Bear, and it was on the side of a cliff, on the side of a hill, pretty good steep hill. The uh, framers used what they call a pettibone, a tractor, and that lifts all the heavy equipment up and they grab it off and they do whatever. The, uh, it's a very complicated piece of equipment because you've got four-wheel drive and things are turning and whatever, you've got to know what you're doing. The painter had to get up to a very high point to paint. And he said, can I use the pettibone? I got to get up real high. And they said, sure, no problem. You know how to operate it, I sure do. The next thing they saw and we saw was the painter diving off as the pettibone was rolling down the cliff. He thought he knew how to operate the pettibone by watching. There was no trial. There was no, uh, in, there was no instruction whatsoever. But he watched, and he thought he knew how to operate that tractor. It was obvious he didn't. 
The uh, mistakes that children make are when they watch and listen and they get no further instruction. We need to be able to teach the children here so that they don't listen just to their peers, but they listen to God's word, either from this pulpit, from the Sunday school, from Awana, from T&T, from brigades. They get instruction from the word. We have to let them have their trials, but we need to watch and we need to help them. Children are unable to take care of themselves, and we have the responsibility to teach them. A lot of folks here have stepped up and been uh, teachers at Awana, been counselors at camp. Praise the Lord for that. Because they're looking at this, train up a child in the way they should go, and they're using God's word to help them. Will they still make mistakes? You bet. Problems will still happen. But if we look at that, I think we can see for next year one way that we can help train up children in the way they should go. Now the interesting thing about that is children are not just children, they're new believers. They're considered children in God's eyes. Our responsibility is also to the newly saved. Again, the opportunities that we have here, Awana, TNT, all of those, add to that new believers. We get so excited when someone is saved. Do we take that next step and do we help teach them? If we look at Matthew 18.3, it says, Men must be converted and become little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. They must be little children. When people are saved, they don't come in as adults into the family of God. They come in as little children. In John 1.12, it says that those uh, who receive him, he gives the right or authority to become children of God. We heard that this morning from Al. The verse clearly tells us that we as believers become children of God. In 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 4:17, Paul says, "For this cause I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son." Or child. And faithful in the Lord. Who shall bring you into remembrance in my ways. Which be in Christ. As I teach everywhere in the church. So Paul. Takes Timothy. And says he is my beloved son. He is my child. We look back. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's what Paul did with Timothy. He trained Timothy. And then he claims him as his spiritual child. In 1 John 2.1, we see again 
My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John is writing this because God does not want his children to sin. He wants us to walk in obedience of his word. Again, teaching all through scripture, teaching, and we are considered in many places as children. The word my little children in Greek is technina, technia. That means my little born ones or my little born again ones. We are children and we continue to be taught. We have teaching. Be it those young souls in Awana or a newly saved believer or someone that's been saved 50 years, 30 years. We can learn, we can continue to be taught. In 1 John 5.18, it says, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he was born of God, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Whoever is born of God sinneth not. That doesn't mean we don't sin. We do sin. The thought is that we do not practice sin. We do not live in sin. If there's something wrong in my life, and I continually, continually, continually do that sin, that is not what God wants of me. But if I mess up and sin, that's what we are. We're going to do that. If we have enough teaching in God's word, we're still going to sin. We can be the best at saying what is in this book. We will still sin. We should not practice and continually, continually do that sin or those sins. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We are still children of God. We are still able to be taught, and we should be teaching. I started by saying this is a Christmas season, a time for gifts. The greatest gift that was ever given to us was the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross at Calvary. The blood that was shed that day. What a tremendous gift that was. We give a small portion back in the offering because we love the Lord, but we don't love him as much as he loved us. We can give a gift 
that continues, and it's not like something we get. Uh, we had a comment today that a gift that was given to a kid in about an hour was pushed aside and never looked at again. Wouldn't it be great if we can give a gift for 2014 that will not be pushed aside? That gift is encouragement to other saints. We're going to go through Luke 14, starting at verse 15. And in prayer, I pray that you'll see where my thoughts are on encouragement and on the gift that we can give for 2014. We're going to see examples of people that had a problem in their life. While we're talking about them, let's think about how they were taught as children. What they ended up doing in this chapter. How were they taught as they were growing up? Either our own young children, these people as children, or if they were believers. It doesn't appear that they were. We'll look at that. In this chapter, the whole theme is Jesus goes to the uh, dinner at the home of a Pharisee. There's multiple parables in here. Uh, The parable of impolite guests, of a great supper, of building a tower, of a king going to war, and of salt that loses its tang. We're going to see that the one that prepares, in this case it's going to be a feast, a big supper. He is the one that puts in all the effort. He does all the planning. He suffers all the cost. This is a picture of salvation that we're going to read about in verse 15 through 24. God provided his son. His son paid the cost. Death on the cross at Calvary. And this is a picture of that. In the parable, many people were invited, but they were indifferent. In verse 15, it talks, there's an individual there, and he says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. In this case, was he just making a pious remark? Was he impressed at the principles that Jesus had said? Or did he just make a general remark? That we don't know. But we do know that the Lord replies back and makes a comment to him. Let's read 15 through 24 of Luke 14. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him, heard this. He said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, the Lord Jesus, said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. One said to him, I've bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. The slave came back, reported to his master. Then the head of the household began, became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways along the hedges Compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. We look at the custom in those days, and it's kind of like a save the date now. Invitations would go out a long time before the dinner. But on the day of the dinner they would actually go out and give a personal invitation and then say, come on, come on into the dinner. Again, who's done all the work here? The man that prepared, now he had slaves, so they were doing a lot of the work, but he's the one that did the planning, he's the one that did all the effort, he's the one that provided the cost, paid the money for this to transpire, this meal, for them to come in and for them to eat. Again, this is a picture of the invitation that God gives to the unsaved. Come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Eat at the table. That's the picture. But what we see in verses 15 through 24 is the parable of excuses. God has issued the invitation, and what is man going to do with it? The invitation is for salvation. That's what's being talked about. You cannot buy your way into this feast. You cannot force your way into the feast. You come to the dinner by the grace of God, and that's the only way you can come to this meal, to this supper. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it reads, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, that gift of God talked about here. And what we're going to see is excuses saying, I'm not coming. I will not accept your gift of salvation. In verse 18, the first man that makes an excuse, they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. This feast took a major part of the day to put together. The feast now is most probably at night. 
would we buy a piece of land that we've never looked at? A lame excuse. A man is giving a, 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 an alibi as an excuse. He's saying, well, no, I've, I've got to go out and look at this land that I bought. Why didn't he look at it before? Does, the excuse doesn't make sense. It's an excuse that is given by a non-believer that just doesn't make sense to God. He's heard that one probably many times. So this man is either a liar or a fool. He rejects salvation. And in this case, it's with an excuse of something that possibly couldn't have been. Why would you go out in the dark and look at a piece of land? The second man, in verse 19, another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Can I be excused? There were no strobe lights. There were no big lights to put up. It's in dark. I'm going to go out and plow a field with my oxen. Again, is he a liar or is he a fool? Is the comments he's making. What has most probably happened is they've found better things to do. The first man, he let possessions keep him away from salvation. He let possessions keep him away from this dinner. The second man, he lets business get in his way. Possessions and business. He's going to plow the fields and make some money off that. The third man in uh, 20, another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. He lets natural affection affect him and stop him from accepting the Lord, from coming to the dinner. And we had an interesting story that 30, 33 years ago, when I went to a camp meeting, there were four of us from this assembly that were on the Western or Verdugo Pines camp board. So we're heading down to Grace Fullerton for a meeting, and uh, we had a new brother that had been voted on to the camp board maybe six months before. And on the way down, he said, I have to tell you guys something. I'm going to get off of the camp board tonight. So we all looked at him, and we said, well, why is that? He says, well, you guys just don't understand. I've gotten married. I have a wife. There's no way I can be on the camp board. What he didn't realize is the four guys had 13 kids among them. We were all married. That excuse any of us could have used. But we had made a commitment to the camp. We'd made a commitment to the Lord. He had made a commitment to the Lord. But he didn't consider 
even the four guys that he was sitting with, that we easily could have said the same thing. He did get off the camp board, and that was fine. But the fact was, he had made a commitment that all of a sudden didn't mean anything to him. If we look at this man here in 20, I've married a wife. It's a banquet. It's a free meal for your wife. I'd be taking her. Right? Why not? We can still go home and do what we're going to do. That's probably the worst excuse of all of them. Because he easily could have taken his wife to dinner. And I bet it was, would have been a good dinner. But you see, the thought is, we let possessions, we let business, we let natural affections, we let many things get in the way of what we do at this assembly. People that reject the Lord Jesus Christ let the same things get in their way. They cannot accept what they feel is right, what is said, because of the fact that maybe they want to do something every Sunday different than what is here. Or they just make these excuses. The excuses they make to themselves, and it makes sense to them. It doesn't make sense to God because he's heard those excuses before, many of them. I heard a story about a police officer once that made a comment to a speeder. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you can tell me a reason I should let you off from this ticket, that I've never heard before, I'll let you go. I think that officer had heard almost every excuse there was. Sure, somebody might sneak one through. We have to remember <clears throat> excuses that we use, people have already heard before. I know that the Lord has. The Lord knows our heart, He knows what we're thinking, He knows what we're doing. And if I'm not here on a Wednesday night, I can't encourage the other brothers and sisters that are here. If I'm not here at a breaking of bread, I can't be encouraged and I can't encourage others. That's a gift that we can give. God has an engraved invitation for us, for an unbeliever. And it's written in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It invites us to the great banquet, the great salvation. Non-believers should never be thinking, I have better things to do. Because they will stand before our Lord and Savior. One day or another, when the time comes, they will stand before him. Again, in my thoughts, I need to make every attempt to be here at the meetings. 
It benefits me, it blesses me, but it also encourages the ones that have studied so hard to either give a message, to lead a Bible study. That's a gift all of next year that I can give them. There's a lot of times that I'm getting older and a lot of times that I see now the young ones putting up the tables and you know I stand back and I watch. I should be helping you guys as little as I can, as much as I can. Age doesn't mean that. What encouragement would it be if I just kind of grabbed one table and helped you? That's the way I need to do it. Especially the young guys, you have stepped up so well, setting things up, getting things done. The ladies have stepped up in this assembly, putting on the meals, the potlucks. They work so hard just putting on a potluck. We guys, we just look at it and go, ah, that's not too tough. And then a lot of us leave, and we don't stay here and encourage those sisters for what they've done. Staying at a potluck and helping out, that's encouragement. Again, I'm talking to myself. I know what I need to do better for next year. In uh, 21 through 24, we look at where the servant now comes back and talks to the master and tells him that these people that were invited have better things to do. The slave came back and reported to his master. The head of the household became angry, said to his slave, go out at once into the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind. Perhaps those that first rejected were the leaders of the Jewish people. We see a picture again of those that reject salvation, rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. When they rejected the gospel, God sent them out to get the common people. Verse 22, and the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. So the common came in. There is always room to be saved. There is no quota. If someone approaches the Lord Jesus Christ and says, I accept you, I accept your death on the cross of Calvary, that you rose again. There is room. The picture here, we brought in all the lame. We brought in all, all the crippled. And there's still room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highway, along the hedges, compel them to come in. That doesn't mean to twist an arm and to drag them in. Not like poor Dave when he had to be drugged to the chapel here. That means to encourage them, to teach them. Teach a child, and they will go in that way. So instead of 
forcing someone to accept something that they don't believe, we are to compel them by teaching them and to show them what is God's way, what is God's will. 2014, that's a thought that's going to be on my mind. I've been involved with Awana for many years. I had one young child that was a Buddhist. And he was learning verses. He might have learned John 3.16. And one day, the light bulb came on in my head. And I said, what is John 3.16? And he goes, I don't know. But he could repeat it. He could tell me what it was. He, didn't know that, he did not know that John was a book in the Bible. He didn't know the third chapter and he didn't know the 16th verse. I had to go back and start from zero with that boy. I learned, I was taught by a young Buddhist boy that what I was doing was not correct. It's not enough for them to learn a verse and put it in their heart. They need to know what the verse means and where the verse comes from. What is the understanding of that verse? So it's not as simple as maybe what I thought it was. We have taught Korean boys. I have been involved with. Our group has. The boy cried when it came to the last Thursday and he was to get up here and to say, his own, to say a verse he had memorized. He cried because I told him, if you're having trouble with this verse, you can say it in Korean. And he started crying. I didn't know what I'd done. He wanted so bad to say that verse in English. We taught English to the young boy. I didn't know it. We happened to have a, a Steve here that spoke uh, Korean. So it worked out pretty well. But we were teaching a young boy from Korea, English. He was swallowing the verses. They were going into his heart. We were fortunate enough to be able to have part of that. In verse 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Salvation, unfortunately, means in this case, some will never taste of the meal, but it means some will never be saved because they rejected our Lord and Savior. In 16 through 24, the problem is that people hear the example given is they thought more of themselves than they thought of God. More than the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
The question is, where is our devotion and our priority in life that we give to the Lord? We need to be able to give up everything in order to follow him. If we're not willing to do that, we can't teach others. We've got to fully understand what it is that it means to follow the Lord. Now, this is spoken to the disciples. In 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We're not talking about a physical cross here. We're talking about the Lord living like the Lord lived. We're talking about the humiliation, the persecution, the temptation that he had to suffer. If we look at what is said between 28 and 30, it's for, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth, counteth the cost? You, you can tell I'm not good at reading King James. Whether he have sufficient to finish it. After he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. We need to count the cost to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a cost. He expect us, expects us to train up the children. He expects us to encourage each other. That encouragement goes a long ways. The thought of starting something that we can't finish, starting something that we haven't planned for, starting something that we're unable to pay for, is not the way that the Lord wants us to do it. These are his words. People will look at us and begin to mock. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to do something a year from now, if we're going to do something five years from now, we need to look and see what do we have to do. There has to be a plan. You cannot build a house, in this case build a tower, without doing plans, without laying a foundation. But if we've laid out a foundation and there's nothing to follow up with it, just like starting the prison ministry, we're laying a foundation, but we're looking at what the cost is. We're not going to jump into a prison ministry not knowing do we have enough people to do the Emmaus courses? Is there enough money to pay for mailing those Emmaus courses? We could get this thing started and then all of a sudden it stops and all the other chapels or anybody else say, what happened? Why did it stop? And those are believers looking at us, 
not just non-believers, what we're looking at in this thought. I saw just yesterday a sign on the freeway, a guy holding the sign, and it had three words on it. Traveling, broke, and hungry. I'd say he never should have left home. Right? Because he expected other people to pay his way with his travels. Carry your own cross. Take care of your own responsibilities. We won't get into it, but in chapter 12, there's a different story. The rich man, very profitable year for him. He had so much grain and, and, and uh, fruits that he had to tear down. His thought was, I'll tear down my silos and I'll build bigger ones and I'll put all that into there. The problem is, God came to him that night and said, because of what you've done, you will not see tomorrow. We are better off to take that extra fruit, extra grain, and give it to the poor. Give it to those that need it. So we see a picture of carrying our own cross, contemplating the cost of what we do. But we also see that we should give excess to the Lord. That's in... in uh, 12, and I think it's 16 through the end of the chapter. You look at that yourselves. But the thought is, yes, we should be responsible with what we do as the Lord's people. But we also should be responsible to not have in excess and to give to the Lord's work. Again, I was talking to myself but if you were listening and if it hit a chord, Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A loyal friend may correct an individual and the wounds heal, where an enemy says sweet things that offer no help. So if you, like me, for next year, realize that I've got to do a little better at this assembly to encourage others. Again, if that means being here on time, if that means being at every meeting, if it means helping the young ones when they're moving tables, then that's what I need to do. If there's a way that I can teach others, that I can help others, that I can encourage others, that's what I need to do. Each of us has to evaluate our own life and pray that we'll have an understanding of what he wants us to teach. Train up the children in the way that God wants them to be trained up. Be that our own kids, our friends' kids, or new believers. We need to work hard to train them. Our Heavenly Father, we do give thee thanks for the time that we've been able to have together.
to open your word. We pray, Father, that thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be shared throughout this season as the one that offers that salvation that was talked about, that was rejected by so many. We pray, Father, as believers in him, that we can teach others, that we will understand what we are teaching. We pray, Father, for those that are traveling tonight, just give them journey mercies. We just pray for good weather on the East Coast. Again, we give thee thanks that we can have fellowship with Christian believers each time that we get together, and we know that thy Son is in our midst. We give thee thanks in his name and pray. Amen.